Soon after my friend Stephen began to pastor his church, he noticed a pattern. At the sanctuary door, after worship, member after member would shake his hand and he'd hear repeatedly, Pastor, you're a breath of fresh air. Stephen's church is a historic church, interracial in this divided city, vibrant and progressive with long commitments to social justice. And depending who you ask, the church had struggled for a few years or maybe 20 years before they called Stephen. Numbers were down, depending who you asked. And anybody could see that certain ministries had been, that had been vibrant and vital had shrunk or stopped. Now, here was Stephen, the first African-American pastor in the church's history, this interracial church, the first pastor under 30 to be their lead preacher. And he's a rapper. Pastor, you're a breath of fresh air, they'd say. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this place. They said that so often that Stephen, he told me, developed a pattern too, a kind of call and response. Oh, he'd say, I can't wait to see what we're going to do together. Stephen is an incredible person and a pastor. People weren't, and they still aren't wrong, when they imagine great things are still going to happen in and through him. But for a pastor, even a new, gifted, fresh one, it doesn't always sound like good news when somebody says, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. It doesn't always sound like encouragement. In fact, to Stephen, it sounded a little too much like people who'd been part of his church for decades were warming up to sit back and see what happened. It sounded a little too much like they were looking for a savior who'd drop into their world and make great things happen again. So every week, or as often as that pronouncement came at the back door, Stephen warmly, gently offered a rebuke to the congregant who said it. Oh no, he'd say, not me, it's us. There are these passages in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that point so clearly to Jesus. Don't they? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders. He's named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our iniquity. All those passages that Handel turned into greatest hits for the Messiah. Way before that, though, people knew that these passages are about Jesus, aren't they? The passage that Owen read this morning, it's one of the biggies. We even skipped some of it. Here is my servant, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I don't mean Owen skipped it. I mean, I cut it out. I don't want to cast dispersions. Here is my servant, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on this one. This servant in Isaiah will be a light to the nations and bring renewed sight to those who need it and free those in prison. I mean, it sounds like Jesus. Vince and I were trying to remember if we had told you this or if it happened in staff meeting. But there's a joke that gets told about children's sermons. 
pastor's doing a children's sermon, has the kids up on the steps, and says to them, what has four feet and a big bushy tail and collects nuts for the winter? And one of the kids, a good Sunday school kid, says, I don't know, it sounds like a squirrel, but it's probably Jesus. (laughs) Aside from being exactly what's wrong with a lot of children's sermons, It also describes us. I mean, a lot of things sound like Jesus. We've been through a lot of interpretation. Here's the thing about God's chosen servant, the one who delights God and is all over the Hebrew Bible and who sounds a lot like Jesus. We are reading all of that from within 2,000 years of our tradition, 2,000 years of Christian communities interpreting these texts. From within our tradition, even the squirrel sounds a lot like Jesus. But anyone, anywhere, at any time, reading or listening to this passage, hears it through their own context. I mean, that's unavoidable. The Israelite community who heard it first, or read it first, heard it through the ears of exile. Through two generations in Babylon, two generations of a loss of meaning and home and hope. We hear it here through all the long centuries of Christian interpretation. And the earliest Christian communities, they heard it in the context of a new thing that had happened, but that they had yet to make sense of, that Jesus had come and gone and hadn't yet come back in the ways that they thought. That's all fair enough. It's it's unavoidable. Those earliest Christ followers got a hold of the Isaiah and so many other passages and thought, that sounds like Jesus, and it does. And we, on this long end of interpretation, to us, to me, it definitely sounds like Jesus, and not just because of the handles Messiah. At the very beginning of the chapter 42, the passage also says that the servant will not grow faint or be crushed until justice is established on the earth. And I wonder how the early Christian community made sense of that. I wonder how we make sense of it. Jesus grew faint. Jesus was crushed. And well before, from the books of it, well before justice was established on the earth. When the Israelites read and heard this in exile, they were exhausted. They needed home and needed new hope. Justice had not yet been established in the earth. When the earliest Christ followers heard it, they were bewildered that the world had yet to change. Justice had not yet been established in the earth. When we read and hear it, digging in by our fingernails to another Advent season, practicing hope, practicing anticipation, waiting again, 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 justice has yet to be established in the earth. And all of us across time, reading and hearing this, we may all of us be thinking of justice in different ways. We may be thinking of Babylon getting what's coming to it after all the suffering we've endured. 
We may be thinking that soon, finally, Jesus will come back, basically right away, and that all of those who died since he left will be raised. We may be thinking that a corrupt government will be corrected and leaders who seem to more closely share our values will come into power. We may be thinking of justice in different ways, all of us across time prone to disappointment. The disappointment that no, justice is not yet established in the earth, prone because of that to exhaustion and growing faint. Like Jesus himself, at times. That disappointment, that exhaustion, that long, always coming justice is why new things, new solutions of God are always needed, everywhere across time and place, desperately needed. Because people are exhausted to the point of listlessness, lifelessness, breathlessness. People are exhausted who cannot wait any longer to see what God will do or what God's chosen servant will do. Here's a little bit of good news for you. I was going to tell you earlier in the sermon, but here's where it is. To my knowledge, no one here at Bethany has ever said to Vince or I or Evan, you're a breath of fresh air. No one has ever said to any of us, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Like, I think it's good news. And maybe it's because none of us rap. I don't know. I do think it's good news. I think it's good news because this is a place that in that way, anyway, isn't looking for some kind of savior. Not like that. This place isn't ready to sit back and watch what happens. Not when two new pastors show up and not when God declares that new things are coming, that new things are about to spring forth. This is a place, I think, that has a pretty good handle on the kind of justice described in Isaiah, a kind of good handle on who God's chosen servant is. Sounds like Jesus? I want to tell you what God tells those in exile, in the mouth of the prophet. What God tells the ones who are bewildered. What God tells those who cannot wait any longer to take a deep breath of fresh air. God says, here is my servant, whom I uphold. Here is my chosen, in whom I delight. In the context of the writings of Isaiah, the servant is the whole people, or, or maybe a portion of the people, those with ears to hear and eyes to see God's new thing. In the context of the early church, yes, the servant is Jesus, the one who will not break a bruised reed or put out a dim candle. In the context of the early church, the servant is also the whole church. The church upon whom God poured out God's spirit on the day of Pentecost, and then again and again, so that the good news spread and spread. And in the context of our life together, it is us who God has called in righteousness, us who God has taken by the hand and keeps. To all of us, across time and space, through the mouth of the prophet, God God describes God's justice. It's not justice like arbitration. It's not justice like a court of law. It's not even impeachment trials. It's not even Babylon undone. It's not 
retribution. It is people set free. It is people fed. It is people clothed. It is valleys raised and mountains made low. It is a great leveling which leaves all people with enough. It is God's servant who will do it. It is, God says to all of us, we who will do it. That's all I mean about you, about us, a lot of the time anyway. We're not perfect. But that's what I mean about having a pretty good handle on the work. You feed people. You welcome refugees. You fill the chancel with coats for kids who need them. You advocate for people who've been in prison so they can just make a home, get a job. This is what I mean about you or us, at least most of the time. We're not perfect, but having a pretty good handle on who the servant is that God has called. This Isaiah and other passages like it read, received in many contexts across many times and places, the answer it points to isn't singular. The answer is that the servant is the Israelite people and the faithful, and the servant is Jesus, and the servant is the church, and the servant is us. And in each instant, this instance, the servant, the servant is not a new servant. The servant serves the new. The new that is always, always, God tells us, about to spring forth. Not waiting, not work. That can leave people, the servant, exhausted, disappointed because it's always needed, because it's always about to happen. To the exhausted, to the disappointed servant, the breathless servant, God gives a promise. We, the servant, won't be crushed until God has established justice in the earth, which, if history can be trusted, won't be in our lifetimes. Still, God calls the servant of the new. God commissions the servant to the always new. God gives the servant deep breaths of fresh air. And to those who might be craning around, looking to see who's coming to make all this happen, God has a gentle, warm rebuke and says, oh, I can't wait to see what we do together. 